Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, entrepreneurs, and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Cruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I am joined by Chris Reynolds from Entrepreneur House, somebody that I've kind of really wanted to bring into my life over the last few months of just struggling with entrepreneurship online, who has brought together a community of people who actually do make money online and host them around the world in various really cool places, as a lot of digital nomads do do. There's a lot of other outfits out there that you can kind of join up with and travel the world with where they basically rent a house and you rent a room within that house. So bringing Chris on to kind of hear a little bit more about his life and his model is something that I think was really going to benefit me and my path to digital nomadry, if you will. So with that <laughs> said, uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Chapin, man, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's make a great podcast. Let's do it, dude. So you've been a digital nomad now for seven years. How'd you get started? Uh, kind of, I, I really have the same old story that a lot of digital nomads do. I read that book for the four hour work week and it sparked something in my brain. And then I read it a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And then I used it as a study guide. I bought the audio. I listened to the audio like 12 times and I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. At the time I was actually working for my friend's farm in Iowa and uh, I would, <clears throat> we would work it, we would deliver grain to this co-op. And at the co-op, like I remember sitting in, the, in the, like in uh, November and December in the dead of winter in this little shed and I had this little heater in the shed and I would watch the corn, the farmers dump out their corn at this uh, grain bin and I was reading the four hour work week and everybody would come in and they're like, what are you reading? And I'm like, this book, the four hour work week. And they kind of snicker and like, yeah, that's not really real. And, um, and you know, I would tell them about like, no, this is my plan. Like I'm going to figure out a way to make money online. I'm going to go travel the world. And they're like, that's cool. We hope you can do it, but you know, that's for you. We'll see what happens. And, uh, that was around 2009, 2010 or so. <clears throat> And then I started, so the first thing I did was started building niche websites online. And uh, I did that for a year and a half or two before I actually set sail for um, borders outside of the U.S. And, and in 2011, April 26, 2011, it's like my second birthday. Um, so April 26, in just a few weeks, I will be celebrating seven years of location independence. And I bought a one-way ticket to go to Costa Rica and lived just south of where you're based, a little ways in Manuel Antonio, Costa Rica. That's beautiful. I mean, Manuel Antonio, though, is on the east coast, isn't it, down uh, by Puerto Viejo? Uh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, that's uh, Quito, or yeah. not Quito, what is it, uh, Capos. Puerto Viejo. Puerto Viejo is on the uh, uh, Caribbean side, yeah. yeah. And in Capos, Manuel Antonio, yeah. Yeah, I had it side. confused, right. That's cool. How long did uh, you stay there for? 
ended up staying there 13 months. And um, when I landed in Costa Rica, I, were, I was there about a month. And I was making some money online. And, and if anybody, if there's any techies out there, knows they know that in, in April of 2011, Google wrote an algorithm that wiped out, I think May 2011, wiped out um, people that were you know doing these niche websites online, wiped out the income for it. And so I was like, oh, shit, you know, I'm here in Costa Rica. I just moved here. I've been here a few weeks and boom, Google wiped out, you know, any chances of me making money at this point. So um, I was like, well, I've got some money saved up. Let's do the hustle. I found some contracting work online and continued to build uh, business online while doing contract work in Manuel Antonio. That's cool, man. Were you always uh, capable with a computer? Did you teach yourself how to uh, build websites or did you go to school for that? No, man. Yeah, I taught myself. I uh, My friends make fun of me because now I have friends that that run really like solid software businesses and and online businesses and 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 they make fun of me because when they start talking, I feel like they're speaking Chinese. And some of the things they say, I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this makes no sense to me. And they're like, Chris, this is basic coding stuff. Like, it's easy. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So it was, it was very... Uh, I love technology, but at the same time, like I'm not, comp- I wouldn't even call myself like super tech savvy at the moment. Got even it. Still. What was that thing that Google did? Like, was it their intention to wipe out that whole little sub niche of people making money or was it an yeah. accident? Yeah, no, back in the day, like in, in 2009 or so, it was much easier to create a website with like a um, long tail keyword like 11daydiet.com or twomantent.com and then when somebody googled twomantent then your website would get good rankings and you could put google adsense up on the side so what they realized is uh, a lot of people were doing this and making money off their adsense their adsense weren't necessarily as profitable what they wanted is the really good high quality content stores um, and people with really good uh, content and, and, and websites that have been online for a long time to rank first. And so they changed that algorithm. They did it, you know, on purpose, but it made it more challenging for me, you know, people like me that were making uh, those niche websites back in the day. Oh, I see. That's interesting. So it was helping kind of the consumer more than the people who were able to hack the system. Helping the consumer and help make a make Google or help Google make a better profit. Right. I think the profit was the bottom line and consumer. <laughs> of course. Of course. So then what did you transition into? I mean, I know you kind of piecemealed it together for yourself, but when did you really kind of stumbled into your niche that you said like, Oh wow, like I'm actually making real money. Yeah. So the, so it actually kind of, well, okay. So I'll tell you the whole progression. So after Google wrote that algorithm, I still continued to build those those niche websites and grow up more and more. Um, but what I also started to do, I was teaching, I was working for a company that was teaching English online. I was contracting with them and I was managing over the teachers, which was cool because as a manager, I really didn't have to do that much stuff unless a teacher dropped out of the classroom. And so I could open up my laptop and 85% of the time I wasn't really doing anything other than observing. And so I could like work out while I was making money with them. I could cook food. I could, um, you know, do whatever as long as I was near my computer. And so I did that while building the niche, the websites online. And then I started blogging. And what we did is we 
from the blog, we created charity adventure travels. So we climbed the tallest mountain in, in Costa Rica and raised a bunch of money for uh, kids in San Jose, Costa Rica that had developmental disabilities. Then I moved, eventually moved down to Peru and we, um, through the blog, we created another uh, adventure trip where we um, raised a bunch of money and we built a farm for Mount Earth children down in Peru. And then also eventually doing a trip in Ghana where um, I hiked across Spain, the Camino de, de Santiago, which is a five-week, 500-mile backpacking trip to raise money for uh, to build a home for slave children in Ghana. And then, you know, I... By this time, after the Ghana trip, it had been four years that I had, I had been location independent and uh, traveling around the world doing these trips. And I think like I knew this when I first moved to Costa Rica, but I didn't really realize it. When I moved to Costa Rica, I uh, was lonely. And even though I had friends, um, even though I had things to do, I was surfing, I lived a few minutes from the beach, had this dream life. I was really lonely inside and I couldn't figure it out. And I didn't really figure it out until I moved to Barcelona. And this is now 2013 or 2014, right around there. And um, what happened is a friend came to stay with me for a month who was also an online, also an online entrepreneur. And he, him and I, we would work from midnight to 6 a.m. every single day. And just being in each other's presence, I noticed we were pushing each other to, to reach our goals. Um, to He may have been working on Facebook. I don't know. But just seeing him you know, look, looking like he was working uh, motivated me to do more work. And we also set up a system where we worked out together. We practiced uh, different languages together. We you know, worked together and we held each other accountable for all of our goals. And so uh, I, it sparked something in me. I said, you know, why aren't people doing more of this? There's all these digital nomads around the world. Why aren't people um, creating experiences for them so they can do something cool like live together and grow business together? So I, I was like, well, I'm going to try it out and see if anybody's interested to do this type of co-living, co-working experience. So I reached out to my network. I said, hey, let's come to live. Let's live in Barcelona. I'll I'll find some apartments for us. You guys just pay and um, pay for the apartments. You know, I'm not going to charge you for any services or anything like that. Just come and hang out. And I got 12 people to come to Barcelona. And during those three months, like, it was magical, man. I had found. Are you there? I feel like I lost you. Filled, fulfilled and accepted. And plus, we were all business building business together. So, so we were creating incredible results. They were having the most amazing time of their life. Um, we were going out and enjoying the city together. We were dating, you know, uh, going out and finding people to date and, and going to the clubs and dancing and hanging out at the beach and, and building business and having masterminds on a weekly basis. And it was a phenomenal experience. And so towards the end of it, I, I put up in my mastermind the idea of making this into a business, creating the entrepreneur house. And everybody overwhelmingly said, yes, do it. And so thus I created from that experience what the entrepreneur house is today. That's a really cool story. He broke up a little bit, but I think we got the gist of it. And uh, the whole experience just sounds right up my alley. Like that's exactly <laughs> what I'm looking for, man. Um, right what kind of people sh like out of the 12 who showed up, what were they all doing? Were they all bloggers? I mean, what kind of variety of people were 
participating and making money? Yeah, let me go through the list here. So we had a guy that um, had a SIM unlocking business. He ran the largest uh, Samsung SIM unlocking business online in the world. And he had a software company. We had another guy that was podcasting and he also worked as a worked with a company called Nomad Capitalist that helped people get second residencies and uh, help people incorporate offshore. We had another guy that was an author and kind of an attractive figure or influencer type of guy. He used to sell he, he used to be in sales. He's from France. He used to be in sales and sell he used to sell jets to billionaires. So these billionaires from all over the world came to France and he was the salesperson that would, you know, bring them on the jet, show them the jet and everything. And so he got tired of that and he wrote a book. Um, and in uh, about his experience selling jets to billionaires, and it was focused on persuasion. So he was like an influence male dating coach in France. Um, and then another guy that actually we got two of these. Another guy that ran the marketing department for um, an American-based male dating service. And then we had dating coach advice. Service could sound bad. Um, (laughs) And then we had another guy uh, that was, I think he was like 37 years old. He was the dad of the house, uh, or the cool uncle, we'll call him. And he had uh, built, uh, started as an entrepreneur when he was 18. He had built three businesses and sold them all out. So he didn't really have to do anything, but he was just traveling the world and wanted to hang out. We had another guy that had an accounting um, product business. So he would sell products. And like um, ways to um, to finish your CPA quickly, like tools to to help you get your CPA. And he also had a wine import business from China. And then I think that's all of. Uh, oh, another guy that was he actually had a job working for FedEx, no UPS, and but it was remote. So. Roughly, that's the gist of it. That's cool. I mean, it just—it's interesting to hear like actual people and what they do, and they make real money. You know, because like it's I was a- talking pre-show, like I meet a lot of people who nowadays are like, "I'm a digital nomad." I'll be like, "Great! Like, what do you do, and how much do you make?" And I always get like, either they won't tell me how much they make, which indicates they don't make anything yet, and they're just like me starting out, <laughs> or they have some like—I don't want to say hair ranks. I think all ideas are worth you know at least testing out, but they're starting with something that you know, is a long, a long way off to making money. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's cool. That's part of the journey Absolutely. and you get all different levels of digital nomads. You know, you have these days you have digital nomads that are, uh, multimillionaires and then you have the digital nomads. It's 500 bucks a month, you know, just hustling away, doing what they can online and props to all of them. I love them all. Right. Do you, the common thread, do you think between the the clients that you have now with the entrepreneur houses that you host are um, people who have their own businesses. Or are they digital commuters as well? Equal 50, 50. No, no, it's uh, so the entrepreneur house is set up for established entrepreneurs. And generally we get people that have uh, been working a business online for two to 10 years. And so that kind of creates an environment of people that are, that are established and making a couple bucks online that they can sustain their lifestyle and travel. Um, but also the thought, the, the brainstorming at, um, that level is a little bit different than opposed to, uh, people that are just starting off, if that makes sense. No, it makes complete sense. And I, 
one thing that I liked about your model, and I don't know how true you hold to it, but it seems like a prerequisite to at least be making six figures. Is that true? So, so we did, yeah, we, we launched an event where it was like, you have to be making six figures to be a part of the, that event, but then, um, we don't do that anymore. So, um, more or less like what happens is we get on, we do a Skype with somebody that wants to come to one of our events and we make sure that they are, you know, an entrepreneur and they are making, making money and they're not just starting out. So, so we, we did the six figure, but you know, what I found with that is that people that are making six figures and higher, um, a lot of times they don't have the, it's more challenging for them to, to take a month off to go to like a co-living type of space. So you have the six-figure entrepreneurs that are really, the majority of them are in the hustle. Like they really want to get to the next level. They want to hit that seven figures and then get to the point where they have that lifestyle and they have money coming in where they really don't have to do anything at all and still have a very abundant lifestyle. Does that make sense? It does. It's actually interesting. I'd never considered that because I was hoping that um – there'd be more people making six figures who still had and, and balancing that passion for travel and capable of finding, you know, an Airbnb in Hong Kong for three months to sustain that hundred thousand dollar business, you know, whatever they're I, running. I, yeah, I think they are. I think there's plenty that do that, but I think something switches to Japen, like uh, for entrepreneurs that really want to, you know, we get into the entrepreneur lifestyle for, for, um, Really, it's for the freedom, but also a lot of people do it for the money. And I think when they realize that, hey, if I can make six figures, all I have to do is change some things, keep working at it, and change my mindset, I can really hit seven figures too. So it kind of catapults them to that next level. So like on my podcast, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that were making at least $100,000 and higher um, online uh, on our podcast. And I didn't, I, there was very few of them that were just like, eh, you know, I would say, I'm not saying very few, I would say like 15 to 20% that were just like, yeah, I'm just going to kick it. You know, I don't mind making, you know, my hundred thousand dollars. I'm just going to kick it and travel for the next three or four years. I think what happens is they actually get to that point where they're like, oh, if I hustle now, I can retire by the time I'm 40 or 45 and not ever have to worry about it again. Hmm. That's interesting. It's an interesting trap. You know, we're all trying to yeah. also get out of that rat race and then we get pulled back in by that. It's another yeah. form of the rat race, exactly. <laughs> totally. So I, I wanted to go back. I had a few questions on you know, your first Spain experience. Why were you working from 12 midnight to 6 a.m.? That seems so odd to me. Uh, I think um, – I don't know why we did that. We just – I think we realized that it was a really calm time of the, the day where there was – almost zero distractions during that time and we could really focus and get a lot of stuff done and i know he was working with partners that were in the americas so it probably helped him out to do that uh, but also barcelona and spain is one of these countries that people really don't go to bed until 1 a.m 2 a.m anyway so that was the normal bedtime and so we would you know sleep from 6 until 1 p.m have our day and you know and go enjoy it with friends um go work out have some fun hang out at the beach and then around midnight when things started to slow down for them then we could kick our work in gear and and just go after it 
That's cool. I mean, that's still like for as far as work and productivity goes, that's like a six hour work day. Um, yeah. Have you ever done that? Like, you know, 12 to 14 hour work day that I'll let you hear all these people talking about to get their business off the ground. Oh yeah, I have plenty, man. I, de- I still do from time to time. Like, um, I, I've had projects that I'm working on and out of pure passion, I have pulled easy like 14, 16 hour work days for one, two, uh, two and a half months at a time. And, uh, I, I love that cause it's almost like a little, a bit of a culture in itself to people that can do that, but, um, have, you know, it's not like I wasn't doing it out of need. I, I wasn't doing it and it wasn't making me more stressful. If you're familiar with like the difference between distress and eustress, eustress is what gives you energy and passion. And so it was from like, I really want to get these projects done. I'm excited for them. And so I'm going to set my life up where I can pull those 14 to 16 hour work days. And what I did, I had this really cool system. Like I would work for 50 minutes and I would take 10 minutes off and I work for 50, five, zero minutes. And then I would take 10 minutes off. And during those 10 minutes, I'd either get a snack or I'd do some push-ups. you know, go to the, the bathroom, get some water. It just had those little breaks would keep me going and going and going throughout the day. That's really cool. You sound like somebody who's a seeker and a searcher for self-benefit. You know, how, do you have like self-help books that you like to read? Are you into that sort of thing? You know, set, yeah. Four Hour Work Week sounds like one that really influenced you. For sure, man. Like the Four Hour Work Week, Think and Grow Rich, As a Man Thinketh. Um, there's a lot. Even like Rich Dad Poor Dad, I think's a great book. Um, what are some others? Anything outside of the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial space that you're interested in? Yeah, like uh, book wise or personal wise. Yeah, book wise. Yeah, um, I think there's a book called um, "The Power of the Subconscious Mind," mm-hmm. which is a really good book. Um, talks about you know subconscious, superconscious, and conscious minds and how they all interact with each other. Um, I these days what I'm reading is a lot of books written by Native Americans, um, or books about people that either either lived with Native Americans. And I don't know why I'm just kind of into that because um, I like some of the values that the Native Americans have and that they they raise their children with. And I kind of grew up around that environment in a way also, and so. Um, I've been, there's a really great book. I'd recommend it for anybody that's interested in learning more about like native Americans and the way they lived. Uh, it's called a wooden leg and it's about a man named wooden leg. And, um, it's, he was one of, I think the only person to write a book that fought against custard in the battle of, uh, in custard's last stand. And it's a really good viewpoint from the Native American side because all the stories we've ever been told are from the uh, American soldier side from during that time. So, uh, the, yeah, that's a, a great book too. That's cool. Do you, do you, are you also interested in like the shamanistic aspect of the, those cultures? A bit. I'm, I mean, the, like the books, they don't get into the shamanistic aspect. I've um, – like I've traveled through South America and met some shamans and done some retreats and, uh, you know, done some plant medicine. But um, I think I was interested in that stuff. And then I kind of moved through that phase of my life and I, I've kind of uh, moved on. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, totally. So yeah, where are you now? I mean, seven years on the road. Um, how many online businesses or businesses do you have running at this point right now? Oh, at this point, like it's kind of, okay, like, okay, so the one on, online business is the Entrepreneur House, but a, the podcast is almost a business apart from that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I'm also doing projects with other people. We just wrapped up a digital detox camp in outside of Rio de Janeiro, uh, which was a great experience that wasn't part of the Entrepreneur House. Then I'm working with uh, a company out of Croatia to help build it, or a company out of the U.S., but they're doing an event in Croatia to help build their event. Um, then I've also, like for the previous two years, we just kind of finished this contract out. For those previous two years, I worked with um, a rodeo entertainer in the U.S., and I helped to make him one of the more famous rodeo entertainers on the Internet. And so we took him from basically a no-name, no-name rodeo guy to uh, to being on a um, Big Brother in the U.S. be on a re- to be on a reality show, and we took his like social media from 2,000 to about 55,000. Took Instagram from zero to over 100,000, and his Twitter from like zero to over 50, 60,000 now. And we worked to like build his name and his contract. So I do like these these projects and <clears throat> these. Uh, I guess you can call them gigs or not gigs or I work with different people in different aspects depending on like where I'm at in my life mm-hmm. and wh- what they need and if it's like a win-win for both of us. That's really cool. So you sound like you have a few income streams coming in from various places. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, I mean, you're still on the road and you're going around the world. What do you, what are you still getting from it? Like what still inspires you to get out there and mix it up? Like what kind of fun activities are you always seeking out when you, when you find yourself in a new place? Well, um, what I've, since I've been traveling for so long, Chapin, like one of the things that I look for, um, is a bit of consistency because every few months I'm taken from my normal environment and I find a new, I go to a new country with a new language, with uh, new food, with new people, with new customs and everything. And so what I do is, like I said, um, 90 day goals, four 90 day goals every quarter that help me keep my consistency on what I'm working towards. But also I do um, one thing that's really helped keep that consistency is uh, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I can do that all over the world, you know, no matter where I'm at. So I have my, my home, even though it's not a dwelling, but my home exists on the level of I'm working towards things that make, that I'm passionate about and I do things that I enjoy. Then on the weekends and the, in the evenings, then we go out to eat and try the food in whatever country we're in or meet some new people, go to an event or go explore a new city or go on a walk, you know, a walking tour or go hang out at, at the beach. Um, so the desire to live in these new places always keeps keeps me moving towards them like this year we're going to to italy and then after that we're going to budapest and i've never spent a long amount of time in either country and so um i still get really excited about exploring a new place but i still have my my normal routine which keeps me balanced um at the same time while i do that right now you've kind of alluded to there's other people involved in this. I mean, are these the the guests that you have or do you have a significant other that you're always traveling yeah. with? Yeah, I have, I have a girlfriend that I travel with, yeah. We've and, been together for two years, yeah. So we go everywhere together. Cool. And is she also in the entrepreneur online space? 
She does. She uh, So she has a Portuguese and cultural language school here in Rio de Janeiro, and they do online classes. And then she also does events too. And so uh, she'll create events and uh, mainly in Brazil, but also um, working on doing it in, in different parts of the world. But um, she, her business can run She's got a manager that does really well. She's got all the teachers that run the business. And so she's got an actual physical uh, business that she removed herself from. So uh, the majority of the year, she can go travel with me and go have some fun. But she's still working, you know, her uh, eight hours a day or so and calling back and making sure that the business is being managed well and everything's working fine. That's really cool. And so being in Brazil, sounds like it's called you back multiple times. What about Brazil do you find so intriguing? The jiu-jitsu aspect of it? The women? Well, yeah, that's huge, man. Like in Rio, that's the headquarters for jiu-jitsu. And I, I have this um, – <clears throat> I found this little uh, jiu-jitsu studio in Copacabana that's um, owned by a guy named Paulo Mauricio Stranch. And he's a red belt. And for those who aren't familiar with the jiu-jitsu belt system, is uh, black is the highest belt you can get. But then once you train people and make jiu-jitsu your life and you become a teacher for 30 to 40 years, you can actually get a red belt. So there's only 35 or so red belts in the world. Um, the majority of them coming out of the Gracie family that established jiu-jitsu. And he's one of the few that exist and I love going to his classes because uh, he's just a happy, old, healthy dude that is super awesome and, and he's a really great teacher. And uh, we do these fun like trainings where it's like five on five and everybody taps each other out or two on or three on one. And um, so I enjoy that. That That's one thing that brings me back to Brazil. The other is I, I probably wouldn't come back to Brazil as much um, if my girlfriend Marcelli wasn't here. But uh, she she's the other aspect that calls me back because she has to come back three, four months out of the year to, to, to check up on her business and maintain relations. I see. What location around the world do you find yourself mostly drawn to? Like when you're fantasizing about hitting the road again, what region or country specific do you feel like you'd really want to go back to and spend a significant amount of time? Yeah, I love Barcelona, and so my girlfriend and I are both on the same page that Barcelona will, if we ever do find a long-term home or buy an apartment, it'll probably be in Barcelona. Um, I feel really at home at Europe for whatever reason. I love the fact that you can book a flight and be in 60 different countries just on a weekend trip. Like That's so mind-blowing still for me, even though I've been you know, abroad for seven years. And, um, Barcelona just is a, it's a very international city, but it kind of has everything. It has the mountains, it has the ocean, it has a historic ancient city with a lot of amazing history. It's centrally located throughout the world. Um, you know, if you look on a map, kind of Europe is more centrally located and, um, it's, it's Barcelona really has this vibe and a lot of people that go there, uh, once they get off the bus or they arrive in Barcelona within a short period of time, they're, they're hooked. They love the city. A lot of people just think like, oh, I've got to live here someday in my life. It's a romantic city. Like it's just, there's a charm there and a feeling there that I haven't felt in, in really any other city in the world. <clears throat> and, um, so that's my, that's my, my, my homestead if I have one. That's cool. How do you deal with uh, visas, like staying only three months on a tourist visa? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> um, 
You can actually get a second, a duplicate U.S. passport. So if you travel abroad, you can um, apply for a second U.S. passport. And really why they made it is because for a couple of reasons, if you're abroad and you have to uh, go to a new country, like say you're in Spain and you have to travel to Ghana um, and you only have one passport, there's no Ghana embassy there in Spain. So you have to ship your passport back to uh, the U.S., which is technically you're not supposed to do, and then get a, uh, a visa to travel to Ghana, and then they ship it back to you. That actually happened to me and why I got the second U.S. passport. And, um, and, so, and so also if you travel to some cities and countries in the Middle East like Israel, and then you try to travel to another one, if there's a stamp on there that says you've been to Israel, you can't necessarily, they won't let you into other countries. Mm -hmm. And um, so the UK and the US have this cool little loophole for, I, I recommend anybody that's traveling a lot to definitely get a second passport. Plus it's great if you lose one, you don't have to worry about finding an embassy and paying a bunch of money to get another passport. And um, you can apply for it, it's pretty easy. Uh, I think the cost, you know, in total, maybe around two or three hundred bucks, maybe less. And um, then you have an extra passport, and, and they issue them for four years now. And uh, it's a different picture, different number, different everything. And um, yeah, good little That's trick epic. To, to have. That's yeah, an it's amazing really good. little hack. Thanks, dude. I've kind of always wanted to know that. Like, I, I've been in Nicaragua now the better part of 13 years, and I walk across the border every three months. For like six hours, walk across, walk back, and it's getting harder and harder. Like now yeah. they're like questioning me for hours. What are you doing? Why are you here? It's That's a annoying. game changer for you, man. How many um, languages are you speaking these days? So I'm uh, English and pretty well versed in Spanish and then learning Portuguese. Um, I've, I've been lazy learning Portuguese because we don't spend a, ta a lot of time throughout the year here in Brazil. But um, Portuguese is still very similar to Spanish, so that helps a lot. Do you have any cool hacks that you use when you're learning a language, or are you just trying to go full immersion? Yeah, so when I learned Spanish, I, gave, I made a three-month goal to be uh, conversationally fluent in three months. And so what I did is I mentioned that I do four goals every quarter. And what I did is just when I – for that quarter, I just focused on Spanish. And so I – I I got a teacher online, um, a nice teacher out of Peru on italki.com, and I paid her like $5 an hour. And she, so I was learning, practicing Spanish one hour every day for the first month, two hours every day, Monday through Friday for the second month. And then the last month, what I did is three hours the first week every day, four hours every day the second week five hours every day the third week, and then six hours every day the fourth week of the month. And by the end of the quarter, we threw a party. We invited all our friends over to our place in Costa Rica, and we uh, had a Spanish-speaking, uh, Spanish-only-speaking party. And we grilled and barbecued, and so, um, yeah, it was a fun little way to learn the language. That's amazing. So when you are talking to this, your online teacher, is she coming up with conversations to have with you, or are you, like, how does yeah. that exchange go? Well, kind of like she has the foundation. She was a teacher anyway, so she, you know, has, you know, basically what she knows the format. But yeah, I did. We did break off in conversation a lot, like that. And now that was in two thousand 
12 when I did that. Um, so I forgot a lot about what she, how she was teaching, but it was a lot of back and forth conversations. And then, um, she would bring in some format and correct me where I needed to be corrected. Interesting. I mean, language is not my strong point and I'm embarrassed to say (laughs) for as long as I've been there, my Spanish is still absolutely terrible. I get by, I plateaued, but I just never went past it. And it's coming to that point where it's time to really set my goals just like you do and and get it done and be fluent because I owe it to not only myself, but the country I live in. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like uh, people don't realize like how much of a uh, how big of a task it really is to learn a language. Most people, it takes about two years to be completely fluent. And that's practicing on a daily basis in school and then being in a country uh, that speaks the language. But it's like you've got to just take that time out and, and make it a, a commitment if you're going to if you're going to do it. Because if you don't, you know, like same with me in Portuguese. I've been with my girlfriend for two years and she has a Portuguese language school and (laughs) my Portuguese is slowly like gaining, gaining, gaining just because I haven't had the time um, to really take, take, take away so I can focus on Portuguese. Mm -hmm. I've just been focusing on business stuff for those two years. Right. Um, Just quickly jumping back to like your favorite places to travel to and you said spain you know the digital nomad hubs of the world are kind of located in southeast asia you know a few other places do you have any reason to not like asia or have you just you feel like it's been tapped out burnt you're burnt out on it like no I, i i like asia like i've done actually i haven't been a lot of places i've just been to thailand and um, more specifically, Chiang Mai, I, I go there for a couple of months every fall and we do an event there every fall, like October, November. And um, yeah, I love like Chiang Mai. Uh, we were talking earlier, Chapin, about like missing our tribes, right? Mm-hmm. And the great thing about Chiang Mai, it gets a bad rep, but there's like two to 3,000 digital nomads there. And it's kind of like a university campus for digital nomads. And like, and there's all sorts of a lot of times it's the dropping off point for a lot of people that want to be digital nomads. But like, I feel like Chiang Mai, I feel amazing there because my tribe is there and there's, you know, there's, there's very successful digital nomads that are in Chiang Mai making incredible amounts of money, running incredible businesses with really large remote teams. And then there's the people just starting out. And I think that's great because it really is like just a hub of, people that want to become those nomads. I haven't been in other, to other places in Asia. I'd like to check them out. But um, like right now, if I want to check out any new spots, it's usually in Europe because I just kind of feel at home there. And there's enough digital nomads uh, around Europe that I can hang out with. I spent six weeks in Lisbon last year. Lisbon is an amazing city. It's an amazing city to get work done. Uh, it's good cost, uh, good cost of living. And also, um, there's a lot of nomads that are there these days, too. It's a big tech scene that's uh, kind of popping up in, in Lisbon. So highly recommend Lisbon also. Yeah, I've heard that I have a good friend. She's coming on the show tomorrow. Um, she's in Lisbon. Krista Romano, mm-hmm. she uh, came on before and loves it. Can't talk enough great things about it. So it's definitely on my radar of places to get to and see. Yeah, good surf too. You'd like it. I know. I know. I've, I, I've yeah, followed the waves in Portugal for a lot of years. So it's definitely, I think, has that nice combination of work-life balance for me at least. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
So let's talk about goals and events in the future. For me, I'm setting a goal to be at your October event in Chiang Mai, brother. <laughs> um, yeah. Tell me about that, and then we can kind of go into a few of the other workshops that you have going on. So what's the October event in Chiang Mai all about? It is it is Get Shit Done Live workshop, and so it's going to be 10 days of – uh, being with other entrepreneurs, you focus on one or two goals during that time, and what happens is uh, a synergy is created. And because you have people that are uh, working incredibly hard and very passionate about a goal that they want to knock out in their business, um, this sort of magic happens and people start to work together. So if you could imagine working away in Nicaragua and trying to um, work on one aspect of your business, let's just say your marketing or Facebook ads, for example, and you don't have that much experience. So you got to find somebody or find somebody online or learn how to do it yourself, which takes an incredible amount of time. What happens at all? Our events is that um, you could be sitting there and the person sitting next to you or a couple people within the group could be awesome masters of Facebook ads. And they say, hey, Chapin, like all you have to do is this, 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 this. And like within a matter of few hours, you're knocking out a part of your business that um, you may have not, uh, that may have taken you months to figure out. And that's where like it gets really cool because then you see people that set a goal to be there and they're like, like one guy had $12,000 in revenue while he was at our last event in, in Chiang Mai this past October. And another guy, uh, like one guy was just, he was kind of a, a newer entrepreneur. He'd been doing doing it kind of off and on for a couple years, but really hadn't got his feet like solid, solid, solidified. And, and so we do this thing where we're like, okay, no shit, no kidding. You're setting this goal. What's your goal that you want to accomplish in the next four days? And he's like, what I'd really like to do is like get four more clients and get $4,000 in revenue and income. And we're like, okay. He goes, but that, that's not really possible. And we're like, bullshit, it's not going to be possible if you don't say it's possible. And we went back and forth with him for a while. And uh, finally, his name's Camille. And finally, he he left the room because he got frustrated because we're like, you have to set this goal. And you're in control of whether you get that goal or not. And we're like, no shit, no kidding. You can make that, make set that intention, make it happen if you truly want to. And I would say things like, what if your parents' life were on the line? Like, I guarantee you would make it happen if your parents' life were on the line. So he left the room. He got a little frustrated. And then he came back in about 20 minutes. He said, okay. Like I'm gonna set this goal. I'm gonna see. I'm gonna set it. I'm gonna set my intention. We're and we'll see what happens. Long story short, like the goal was for four days. I think within like two and a half days, he had got four new four new clients and four thousand dollars revenue. So it's things like that that happens at uh, the Get Shit Done workshop. So I think it's around October 25th through November 6th this year, um, and. Then we have the option, too, if you want to stay and hang out for another two and a half weeks um, with the people that will be there. I'll be there. I would say like 80% of the people decide to stay and hang out, and we can just have some fun and climb some mountains and explore some Thai temples and eat Thai food. That's radical, man. That sounds awesome. And that's right around my birthday, which is uh, the 27th. So it's, it's a, a great good, birthday present. It's a good, yeah, birthday present to myself. Um, just for the listeners and myself, like what, did the, what does it cost to stay in one of your establishments for that amount of time? So for the event, it's uh, $695, $697 for the 10 days. And then if you want to stay for the month, if you want an accommodation included, and it allows you to stay for four weeks total uh, is fourteen ninety seven for the month. 
Got it. And that's just for the accommodation. There's no, no like chef involved, like cooking food every day for everybody. No, no, no chef. But the place we stay is really cool because we've got like two outdoor infinity pools. We've got, it's a little resort complex. Um, we've got an open air gym. It's a really nice gym. There's a yoga studio. There's a restaurant. There's a cafe on location that a lot of people co work at. And then we have our own office space room space where people work at as well so it's a very cool place everybody gets a scooter in in chiang mai um they're like 70 dollars a month to rent a scooter and so we all go buzzing around the mountainside or go buzzing around the city and um yeah so it's great you ever gotten a thai tattoo no not me man no a lot of (laughs) people do though but i'm referring to the the fact that you rent a scooter and you hit the pavement really quick because most people don't know how to ride them (laughs) (laughs) no no i'm pretty good on a motorcycle so i've never had a tie tattoo but i know some friends that have (laughs) yeah i was living up in pie for a while and jesus christ that hospital was full of foreigners just road rashed up so gnarly yeah how long were you in pie uh i think roughly like three or four months Cool. It's actually and when it, I started this whole this whole endeavor. A girlfriend of mine at the time was teaching kung fu there, and I followed nice. her to like kind of start my digital nomad endeavors. And I set the goal six months. I'm going to be making at least a cash flow of you know 500 bucks a month. All it cost me to live there was 400 bucks a month. So I figured I'd save an extra hundred. Mm-hmm. And like by the end of the time, I'd like produced like two YouTube videos and was just demoralized because this was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my whole life. <laughs> like. Are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, like just demoralized. Like this is really the hardest thing I've ever done. And for me, being mm-hmm. in Nicaragua for the years I was, I didn't have internet. And this whole technology wave just passed me by. I didn't really ever use a computer. So when I came back in 2014 and moved to Thailand in 2015 and started this, like I just had to start from literally the basics, how to Scratch. use a computer. Yep. Everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, you know, it's, that's the, the thing that's really amazing for the, the millennials and people growing up nowadays is they have so much of an advantage with just being, understanding technology in a way that, you know, I'm 37 too. So like we didn't necessarily grow up, we didn't have iPhones, you know, I didn't get my first cell phone until early 2000 sort of thing. And the kids that are growing up nowadays, they have an advantage with that, I think. And we're going to see some amazing developments in technology in the next, like, 5, 10, 20 years. It's just going to blow everybody's minds. Yeah, totally. Just, like, the interface, too, there, there's, there's, like, an intuition that these young young yeah. millennials are utilizing that, like, I don't know if you're familiar with psychological terms, but like a schema is sort of a framework in which your mind kind of reaches into, even though you don't know it's there, but it has a reference point. And mm-hmm. I don't have a schema for any of this. So I'm literally like <laughs> the line leading the blind where like, you know, the kids I work with, um, when I come back to the States, like they can look at a, a new app and they intuitively kind of know like to swipe left, swipe right, like touch here, touch there. Where like, just for example, you sent me a request, a request on Skype today i can't find it it's probably here but like i don't even know where to look to like find it and that's how it's always been dude so it's a slow process for me but i'm I'm liking the work don't feel bad man like for some reason a lot of people can't find my request on skype whenever they whenever i send them out so all right it's pretty 
Blame it on Skype. It's not your fault. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you, Chris. So Chris from Entrepreneur House, and he's starting these workshops, Get Shit Done Workshops. Um, do you have anything else you want to throw out there, Chris, before we sign off? Yeah, I, I'd like to say, too, like we're going to do some online Get Shit Done Workshops. So we're going to be uh, hosting those um, coming in the next couple of months. Also, uh, feel free to check out the Entrepreneur House podcast. Currently, we're interviewing 107-figure location independent entrepreneurs. So I really wanted to get behind the minds and the science of building a seven-figure-a-year business that um, with people that are being really location independent, living in you know, Asia or Europe or wherever they want throughout the year. And it's a new wave. Uh, it's, it's almost like a new generation of people. You know, people started out, oh, they read the four-hour work week and thought, oh, I can be location independent. They became digital nomads. And then they started hustling and getting by with $1,000 a month and $5,000 a month. And over time, they built it up to $10,000 a month. And now people are making $100,000 a month. And they really have solid, amazing businesses. And so I, uh, in the podcast, like we talk about that with those people that are building those uh, incredible businesses. Um, also, man, I just want to say thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm honored. I hope uh, the podcast turned out really well. Um, thank you for the listeners for tuning in. And keep rocking and rolling, Chapin, man. This is uh, amazing information to get to the world. So keep it up. Thank you, Chris. Uh, it's been a pleasure and uh, looking forward to seeing you in October, my man. Sounds good. I look forward to it, too. All right. Take care. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspires you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out, spread your wings, and try something new, to live a different lifestyle that... Maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you. And I'll see you next time.